Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Phone Fixed podcast. Jeremy, you're back. I'm back, baby, and better than ever. Well, I talk like this now. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> um, okay. From the 1920s, I came back from the future. Something happened to uh, Skype so that I can only now have to see myself, which I don't like. Um, really nailing it. We're anyways, nailing it, guys. Sorry. Um, so this week we're, as we talked about on our, one of our last podcasts, it's, we're going to discuss a, 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 a listener question. Um, and this one comes from a very diverse audience, a straight white male, um, from, we assume, is it, uh, Luxembourg? Luxembourg I don't know. It's, yep. it's hard to tell where they're from, but, um, we'll play that now. Um, so you get a sense of the question we're going to ask. So Here's a rather long-winded voice memo. All right, guys. I've listened to the last couple podcasts, and I have a fairly thoughtful question I'd like for you guys to give. It's due. Take some time. You'll probably need to listen to this and then prepare. But let's just say for argument's sake that some alien species, whoever, somebody touches down on Earth and they come to you guys, these heads of Easter Island where film is concerned, and they say, we need each of you to represent the five most important movies made by filmmakers during your lifetime. Doesn't necessarily have to mean your favorite. It probably doesn't mean your favorite. But in the most recent podcast, you guys were talking about Soderbergh and you used a couple different terms to differentiate directors like PTA and Scorsese from directors like Soderbergh, Fincher, and Nolan. And I'd just be curious to see who you represent. The one caveat is that you cannot have two filmmakers, you cannot have two films by one filmmaker. So each filmmaker can only be represented once. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean your favorite movies, but what five movies would you use to represent quality filmmaking during your lifetime. Love the podcast. Keep it up. The gaps between these things are taken for fucking ever. So, anyway. Alright. Bye. Okay, guys. So, we've all listened to that. Jeremy had to be sent it several times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm... Instead one- of just scrolling up in his text. Can, can you guys just send that to me so I don't have to scroll up? Um, we do so, text a lot, to be fair. We do. Um... How how do you guys want to do this? What's the best What's the best way? Um, I was thinking we are, did you guys rank these or did you kind of just do a random order? Yeah, um, I didn't really know how to rank them, so I just have five. Me too. I, That's what I. I, well. I kind of have it randomly, but I uh, yeah, I, it's random. I don't have any numbers next to any of these. Okay. I really don't entirely know which ones I'm going to pick. I Great. I, I, I want to oh. go over like our criteria, but go ahead. Okay, yeah, so I think it'd be nice to go, like, in chronological order, so oldest to newest. Okay, sure. Um, so, okay, well, Jeremy, because since you brought it up and, and I wouldn't stop talking during my intro, um, maybe you can start with your criteria. Um, so this is where I seem to struggle more than you guys, because you're both like, oh, I only have four, I can't even figure a fifth, and I'm like, I literally have a list of 25 movies, so... Now remember, a it's the most ha- important. It's something you got to educate your alien, your alien friend. 
No, I, I get it, but like, is it the most important to future films? Is it the most important because that director was so influential? Is it that director's best film, my favorite film? Or is it just one I want to represent on this list because they're doing something um, that is sort of poignant to their career and them as a filmmaker? Um, I also thought about like what you guys would probably have on this list, and I didn't want to double dip too much. I was really in my head about this a lot, so uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I also thought were. like culturally, like how significant was it? Not just the filmmaking, not just its influence on other filmmakers, but culturally, it has to be pretty significant. And I had to at least in some way shape or form really liked the movie i couldn't just throw movies on this list that i can't really have have a, a passion about i feel like that's part of what makes these in, in influential is that passion that could come with it mm. Mm. okay okay lee uh so i mean my my first thought was you know which aliens are these? Are these Independence Day aliens? Are these arrival aliens? Are they here to help us? Mm -hmm. Like, well, so I spent a, most of the time thinking about that. Um, but then I sort of blurred the line between important and influential. And I also took into consideration both the importance of these movies uh, towards cinema and cinema moving forward, but also just kind of their importance to me personally. And I thought I, I have picks that represent each of those. And sometimes they're both and sometimes they're one or the other. But um, I think my list kind of represents kind of a, uh, a broader scope of that. Yeah. I also I, forgot to mention uh, like the technology too, like how mm -hmm. maybe, maybe there's some aspect of the film that has mm. influenced others or, or was groundbreaking and it's technological advances. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I think mine are along similar lines. Um, okay. So, Lee, why don't you pick us to start us, kick us off with your oldest sure. pick, please? Yep. So, my oldest one is going to come from 1988. Um, it's a movie near and dear to my heart, important to me, I think, um, more than any way in terms of this, the, the definition. It's just an important movie to me. But I also kind of can see how this can be important to a foreign species that comes down and wants to understand um, something specific about um, mankind. And it's uh, Giuseppe Tor Torrentone's Cinema Paradiso. Okay. Um, this is a movie, an Italian film, of course, um, from a director that, you know, we don't ever talk about, has real, really not done anything else uh, um, to note. But it's a movie about friendship. It's a movie about movies. It is a love story, which is really beautiful, but oddly the least important part of the movie. And I think for me, it's always kind of been the, one of the most successful movies in terms of like what it means to truly love and have a passion for something. And if we're talking about movies, I think this is fitting to kick this off. This is this shows you the power of movies. It shows you the power of friendship, the power of love. And I think in a you know two and a half hour Italian film, it is captivating and it is beautiful and gorgeous. Um, the score from the late Ennio Morricone is just stunning. It played at my wedding, and it's just always meant a lot to me. It's a very important movie. It's one that I recommend immediately to 
anybody who says name five movies I should see, you know, period. Mm. Uh, it's on my list. So I think, you know, these aliens come down and they want to know what movies mean to um, human beings. I think Cinema Paradiso is a perfect place to start. That's a I great think that's pick. a great pick. Yeah. <laughs> nice job. Yeah. And When's I, the last time you guys have seen this movie? I'm curious. It's been, a very long it's time. Yeah. been too long to even uh, consider it for this list. but um, Put it on the great movie list, Lee. Yeah, let's do That's that. A good idea. We should would should revisit it as for the pod for sure. Um, am I up next, or Chapin? Do you want to? I'll go. Uh, um, well, do you want to explain your criteria a little bit? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I fell a little bit too much on the influential list. I took I took Tyson's note that it it, it probably wouldn't be your favorite movies, kind of literally. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of things on here that I wouldn't consider my favorite movies. Um, it's all just shit. <laughs> just rubbish um but no but i mean it's uh, but also like i think it, it the, this sort of tended to more so then because of that it sort of tended to more popular movies as opposed to like um i do have one palm door winner on here which I, if you guys want to guess which one it is later when i get to it i will um but there are a couple palm there's one at least one palm door winner on here mm-hmm. um so, but my number five, my 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 latest or earliest pick is "Do the Right Thing" by Spike Lee. Okay, that was my next one. Shit. <laughs> no, just um, go go let's, on. Let's discuss. Well, I have it. a replacement for it if you want. No, no, no. Let's talk okay. about it. I mean, we can we can talk about some other films. Well, I'm sure we'll have some honorable mentions. But yeah, I mean, obviously, it kicked Spike Lee's career off. He did a couple movies before it, but I think it like really solidified him. He's been a very influential filmmaker since that movie. But it's, I think, to me, what what's important about it is like this convergence of sort of like very immediate politics, cultural, social. Um, issues with like really striking entertaining um filmmaking and and um i think it's an incredible movie um it's i wouldn't say it's like one of my top 10 but every time i every time it like comes on if i like kind of see a clip of it i kind of have to watch it and that's not necessarily a reflection of why it's important i think it's it's just um it's just an example of how a film can be um, a couple different things at once. And I'm always looking for these, as you guys know, as we as the weather gets colder and fixie season is upon us, I'm always looking for movies to say something and to be talking about issues at this time of year. And this is a movie that certainly does that. And um, it's I think it's an extraordinary film. And it's but it's also just like incredibly watchable and. It really is. Um, it. I, I was thinking about uh, about do the right thing because it, uh, if anything, this this movie deserves a place on this list more than any. Because it, if you have to pick one movie made in the last you know thirties or thirties, yeah. uh, amount of years, um, that was important when it came out. Continued to be important and is now perhaps more important than it's ever been. Do the right thing is that, and. I was thinking it's probably naive of me to say that this movie is more important now than it's ever been. I think this movie is proof that that is naive, that this, you know, the things on screen are things that have been going on for decades, um, if not centuries. And, but, you know, we are going through a, you know, a point in history right now where the actions in this movie are literally taking place in real time in front of us. And it just shows you 
what Spike Lee was onto and what he was trying to say and trying to make audiences aware of. And, you know, we were kind of all blind to the fact that he wasn't just making a movie, but he was making a statement. We all said, oh, this is Spike Lee. You know, he's always trying to say something. He's, you know, making propaganda films or whatever your take may have been. But I just think the fact, the timelessness of this movie is what makes it so important and so influential. It's, you know, it's it's an all-in-one-day movie. It's, you know, shot in a very unique style. It's a very interesting character piece. It's a very interesting ensemble piece. So from a filmmaking perspective, I think it has a lot of influences. But the themes of the movie are are maybe as important as any movie we've had in the last 40 years. Yeah, yeah I, and I think mm-hmm. I think the criticism of that movie um, or, or what you just said, Lee, about Spike Lee, a lot of that had to do with his post-do-the-right-thing career. I mean, he has had some strikeouts. Well, I don't even know then. if it has as much to do with his movies as as much as his just his interviews, you know, the things he says off-screen, like that whether they rub people the wrong way or whatever it is. I mean, I think... I At least part for me, I've like... come around to realize that, like, all these things that Spike Lee was saying, regardless of how you felt about him, he's been right about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of it's just like his, that that film was such a dynamic and powerful and big debut that I think it hurt him for many years in his career until he's sort of been able to level off a little bit. Well, those early years of his are kind of extraordinary, how well he did. Um, you know, like Jungle Fever and Malcolm X come shortly after. And um, I think another thing, Lee, you, you brought to mind was, you know, if we're talking to, for, for example, the arrival aliens, um, you know, who may have a different sense of community than we do, like explaining the way storytelling works. You know, this is, this is a single intersection in Brooklyn and that's where all this action takes place. And it's in one day, as you mentioned. And, and it's a perfect example of some of the things we t- try to talk about on the podcast and why it really works. It's like, yeah, these people are thrust together in this area. And, and yes, we are talking about one. It's it, The action takes place in one little area. But it's but it's really a, a dialogue yeah. about about the, the country as a whole. But, you know, um, it works well on that level. So, uh, should we move on, Jeremy? Um, your number or your oldest pick? Yeah, I wasn't able to uh, dip into the eighties. Um, it's not as I'm cultured as us. Slight bit younger. That's not true. Chapin's <laughs> yeah. the youngest. Uh, I'm the youngest. You're but the uh, uh, yeah, so my my first film is from 1990. If it was, it it would probably be my number one if we were ranking these. And it is uh, Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. It it checks yeah, all the boxes I was talking. <laughs> yeah, it, it checks all the boxes I was talking about as far as just influential to other filmmakers, a filmmaker that you want to see represented on this film uh, on this list. It's the it's just uh, personally when when I first saw it, it sort of blew me away in 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 the aspect of. I've never seen anything like this. This is like, a, this is a rock and roll concert uh, on film. This is just something completely dynamic he's doing with the camera and how uh, just alive it is. It's 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 something that we've now seen a million times 
both for the good, the PTAs of the world, and and we've seen it done poorly uh, many, many times, probably poorly uh, more than we've seen it done well. It's just one of those films that just absolutely stands the test of time. Um, and if we were showing this alien species, we'd point to this and just say, this is how, this is what cinema is capable of doing and the power it's capable of creating. Yeah. I was thinking back about, I mean, that's where my mind went initially is like how influential this film is on other filmmakers. And obviously Scorsese is a big name and, and is cited as a influence by many directors, but like, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think a lot of people are like channeling raging bull or after hours or last yeah, temptation I'm of Christ. Like yeah. this is, yeah. this is the movie where he's, as I've mentioned a, a bunch of times, he's like plucking every little string. He's like, the, he's like the um, conductor and the orchestra of cinema and can like, you know, take every tool and use it exactly perfectly. Um, and I think, you know, in, in many ways, like Goodfellas influenced movies in a way it like, like I know Nolan talks a lot about like, you know, Michael Mann being an influence and Stanley Kubrick, but like, you know, the storytelling, the montage storytelling and say like Batman Begins, for example, like, I think has to go back to this, this film, like the editing in this film, the way it's told, the energy of it, I think has sort of defined what like modern montage filmmaking looks like and has sort of laid the rules down for what you can do. Um, it's also another. It's also like a prime example of good voiceover, <laughs> um, yeah, right? It's and, it's interesting because, sorry, go ahead, Jay, No, no, that's it. Saying. That's it. So, two things. One is you could take every single credit of Scorsese's off his resume, and leave Goodfellas, and he would still be considered one of the most influential filmmakers ever because of this movie. And it's interesting because I think Scorsese the filmmaker in his career as a whole overshadows how important Goodfellas is. Everybody talks about Scorsese and his influence on their careers and his influence on movies. And they talk about him because he's made Goodfellas, but also Raging Bull and Taxi Driver and the huge list of movies that departed in Wolf of Wall Street, all the way up to what's coming, uh, the Irishman and what's coming next with Kills of a Flower Moon. And I just think, they look at his career and credit him for an amazing, what is it, 70-year career. And I think Goodfellas is, changed everything in 1999. There had never been a movie like this. That 1990. Did, uh, what did I say? 99. 1990. There had never been a movie like this in terms of the filmmaking, the dual voiceovers, the camera movement, all those things. There'd been flashes of all of those things, but to put them all together, there'd never been a movie like this, the use of music, everything. And then after Goodfellas, every movie was trying to be like this, right? It, every filmmaker took beats from it and tried to replicate it. Tarantino, Fincher, Nolan, TTA, everybody has some... Including... Scorsese and Scorsese I I think is the most interesting part about it because it's great as Scorsese has yeah, been movies post, like Casino and post yeah. 1990 he's never party. been able to chase the energy or the high of Goodfellas again with no no matter when he tries to do it even the departed the Irishman Casino yes he does it well and he does it maybe yeah, better than anybody else but it's still it still isn't Goodfellas um 
and that sort of makes you you wonder like is that his like is he chasing goodfellas and goodfellas just or did goodfellas just happen to be the best of his style or should he like try to get back to something more like a taxi driver or a raging bull and he's tried all that stuff and and he's made wildly successful and wildly amazing movies i just think it's interesting just that where in the mount rushmore of movies where goodfellas kind of lands yeah i think another influence we have to talk about is it, it its influence on tv i mean obviously the sopranos like has yeah. ex- almost ex- ex- like has all the same cast members mm-hmm. um but you know, like that show wouldn't be made without Goodfellas, and I think a lot of those big HBO shows, um, you know, Boardwalk Empire, a lot of those gangster shows were completely influenced, and sometimes, like obviously, like Scorsese was involved with Boardwalk, um, and and I think it's you know significant its impact on TV. So I have a question for you guys because, and I I'm kind of putting you on the spot because. So I don't, you know, know how thought provoking your answers will be. But obviously, The Godfather came before uh, before the eligibility of this list. 1972, Godfather Part Two. 1974, Godfather Part Godfather Part Three would have been eligible. But let's leave that out of the discussion for now. Well, wait, we're not we're not to the end of 1990. Yeah, you don't know that. That's a great point. It could be (laughs) could be on one of your lists. Um. I'm just kind of curious about the generational impact. You know what I mean? Like, Goodfellas, obviously, enormously influential for us. The Godfather likely on this list, if we're including films dating back to the 70s, right? But where's the divide, right? Like, what... what Well, let's look at it. If you look at it from a different perspective, what's the similarity other than genre? Yeah, you know, you know they're both I, they're well, both mom movies, but they're they're completely different in they're their totally sort of different stylistic. I, I thought of one thing. I think of Goodfellas, and I was like, "Is the did the did the did the Godfather do this before Goodfellas?" Was like the rise of the anti-hero, and you are rooting for Michael in I guess in Godfather, but he's not really an anti-hero in the way that like no, Ray not Liotta. Until the end, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Ray Liotta and, you know, Joe Pe- like these are just like terrible people that you like in Goodfellas. And um you know, exploring that territory I think like opened doors for people like you know, we t- we think about, you know, PTA and the the fucking Dollies and like he copies Goodfellas in in ways that like are are are, are fairly transparent. But I think things like you know being able to have a porn star as your as your lead in a movie like that's ground that I think Goodfellas broke for a lot of people. And you know like Daniel Plainview for example is yeah. I mean you could make the argument that Godfather Two Michael is an anti hero. Yeah, but I, I, I would. I still I would, understand but your you don't, point. You don't like him. I don't. I mean, I've never liked Michael, but I don't I, know if you like Daniel. I never really did. And Blame there him. will be blood. Yeah, I, I. I feel like I feel like the comparison to Godfather Two and There Will Be Blood, as far as the anti-hero, are pretty similar. Mm. Well, I mean, I think this is a a, a perfect example of why Goodfellas belongs in this conversation that we're talking about movies. 
before and after it and just kind of its place in the history of cinema. Uh, all right, Jeremy. so we're all we're all screwed up. I just Yeah, did so my num- my next one up was Do the Right Thing, 1989. Chapin, your next one was I'm assuming 1990s Goodfellas, yeah. Goodfellas, which brings us back to Jeremy. So I can just pretty much name my list from here on out and if you uh, if the rest of it's on yours, <laughs> then that's what it is. All right. Well, let's go to Another movie that probably would have been my number two on this list, and it's uh, 1994's Pulp Fiction. Okay. Um, that, that's so, also my number. That's also on my list. That's yep. my that's my Palm Door winner. Oh pa- right. Oh, palm, interesting. Okay, I had another thought palm of door. maybe your Palm Door winner. Tree of Life. Um, yeah. So honorable mention. It's just again like Goodfellas. You, Tarantino is is sort of playing with the the concept of cinema uh, in a different way that you really haven't seen before. I mean, he's chopping up the narrative. Not that that's never been done, but it, it's done in a very like specific way in this movie. The sort of casual dialogue of it all, the humor that's very purposely thrown in. You just, you get to like dive into this guy's brain, a brain that's like clearly been consuming all this culture and content for years and years, and then could, can spit it out so perfectly in a narrative that is completely unique and showing you characters that like you've never really seen before. You, you get to see the, the other side of, you know, the, the gangsters of Goodfellas and like, you get to see the, them going to the bathroom. You get to see those moments, uh, where they have to get washed down and uh, wear old clothes and drink coffee and talk about that. Like all this stuff that you talk about an influence on, influence on television i think pulp fiction is more of an influence on television than any other uh movie of the past 30 some odd years because i mean you look at everything from like i I would say seinfeld's a direct sort of comparison to pulp fiction the idea that you can have these moments of what seemingly (laughs) is nothing and then becomes the focus of whether wh- whether it's the violence or the comedy or the the story itself and that's so the brilliance of it in reality pulp fiction owes its or tarantino owes his whole career to jerry seinfeld which came first well that's wait was it 90 yeah so 89 or so 88 or 89 is when seinfeld began mm. yeah that doesn't okay. sound right that's like the simpsons no that i think that is right um, oh no, actually, uh, yeah. Look, I think that we need to give the the early '90s. I think it began with Sex Lies and Videotape winning the Palm d'Or. But I think if you have to name one movie that defines this indie craze of the early yeah. '90s, it's got to be Pulp Fiction. And you can argue whether it's like truly an indie movie or not. I mean, you know, there's all these big stars in it and whatnot, and it was an $8 million movie, which was a lot for a movie of that type back then. Um, but it also, like, I also think, like, you know, launching Tarantino's career is huge. He's an, he's a film, he's like one of the few filmmakers who just has a blank check anytime he makes a movie. I think, you know, we talked about Licorice Pizza. Uh, did we Lee on our last podcast? A little bit, yeah. yeah. 
Um, Although the, I don't know that the trailer had come out. Right. Yet. Well, with the trailer had come out, and we all, you know, reacted, you know, pretty calmly to to that. And um, <laughs> cool, calm, and collect. And I think I, I mean I don't think you know a PTA movie has made any money in the la- you know the last decade, um, but I think he gets to make movies because it, it, you know similar to the way you know uh, looking can 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 exist because Game of Thrones makes money. Um, I think, you know, Tarantino allows filmmakers like PTA and Richard Linklater and, and you know, all, th- that's sort of that generation to sort of keep going, you know, like, uh, and thank God for it, because I, I frankly think PTA is a better filmmaker, um, but uh, his movies don't tend to make money. And so because of because of that sort of residual effect of Pulp Fiction, we're getting a lot of great films that are important to us yeah pulp fiction you know you obviously we just spent a while talking about how goodfellas was maybe one of the most influential movies on filmmakers ever made you know to for you know to the same degree pulp fiction is too and but where goodfellas influenced you know professional filmmakers for the next 30 years Pulp Fiction influenced aspiring filmmakers. You know, maybe Reservoir Dogs too a little bit, right? But I think the idea that Tarantino was, you know, a film fan, right? Someone who loved movies and made these, you know, two debut opening movies in Pulp Fiction just defied so many different things and proved that you can do whatever you want with the medium and tell any kind of story you want pave the way for that indie movement, Chapin, like you brought up. And I think that has evolved and changed over the years between, you know, what, you know, the festival runs and then you move into the streaming uh, services and, and so on and so forth. And I've always thought about how, you know, we very inconveniently fell at the end of the festival run and before the streaming one. And just like, <laughs> so... Our, our filmmaking careers just never were what they were meant to be. But um, I just think Tarantino, uh, so many people owe Tarantino credit for what he did with Pulp Fiction, right? Because it's, I, there literally has never been a movie like it since, as hard as people have tried. Yeah, yeah and I think, it's, I think it's interesting when we're talking about all this stuff that none of it is a, like a linear line like it's not like because of pulp fiction you know we saw this for the first time and other films were able to do this it's like these are sort of the peaks of those concepts right all those things brought together all those things brought. Yeah. i mean you can always point to a movie that did something similar before and you can point to uh, a movie afterwards that changed it slightly but these are sort of like the defining like uh, foundational posts in these concepts that we're talking about. I like that. Okay, Lee, right. back to you. Okay, so I'm going to jump all the way to 1999, which is a, a year that we obviously talked quite a bit about a couple years ago um, when we were doing our 20-year so retrospective. So many movies to pick. Um, this movie was, you know, once upon a time, very very influential to me. It, it's, it's kind of the movie that made me want to be a filmmaker, which, of course, I am not one. <laughs> but it's uh, from the filmmaker we've been talking so much about already, Paul Thomas Anderson, it's Magnolia. Um, for the, a lot of the same reasons 
we mentioned with Goodfellas. Like this is this to me is what proved that a movie can do absolutely anything it wants with story, with music, with the camera, as long as it treats it as an art form. And but do you I really want this to represent? PTA I do because the movies for for these aliens I do and I'm going to tell you why because while PTA has matured as a filmmaker over the years with movies like There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread I think this represents his talents as a filmmaker more than anything even if it's showing off you know he's learned to tame things down use things a little bit more subtly but this represents what one of the most talented filmmakers living today can do with a movie. And he proves that it's an art form. And I think if you want to show these aliens that movies are an art form, you take a movie like Magnolia and say, look, here is something that in so many ways should not work. We shouldn't care about some of these characters because we don't know them. We shouldn't care that they're... Uh, about the day in the life of these random people. We shouldn't understand why there's frogs falling from the sky and the characters are singing to the screen and all of these things. But because he does it with just such grace and he uses literally he does, every tool in the tool belt He does as it with sincerity, too. That's the thing that really throws you. I think that's why this represents... Paul Thomas Anderson if you're going to sh- if you're going to say hey here's a director that you should know about. Okay. Uh wouldn't it wouldn't it be my Paul Thomas Anderson movie but um it I get what you're saying. I get I get like I, and I also it gives you like it's one of those movies where especially after you watch it maybe for the first time or the second time it's like it gives you that cinema tingle down there. It does, and you, this was you know? and for that reason. This was one of this was my favorite movie for a while. I mean, probably through a, a large portion of high school and some of college or whatever it was. It was my favorite movie because that was the period where I had that cinema tingle. Right, like I wanted to be a filmmaker. I saw what filmmakers could do. I wanted to replicate it, and Magnolia did that. And it just you know it. It did all of these things to a very, like, exaggerated degree. Yeah, it's so earnest in its, like, uh, not ability, but, like, how it's trying to evoke emotion. It's earnest in that. It's not, like, lying to you about or manipulative about it. So just, like, genuine in everything from the music, from Amy Mann score or or songs and like yeah. the acting tom cruise literally just basically crying at a bedside like everything he, he's not he's not pulling his punches on this he's just well, showing in, you what the emotional state of this movie is and you're gonna feel it whether you sort of want to go there or not and look you also granted have very good actors in this movie but you have actors performing very well in very melodramatic over-the-top scenes. Philip Seymour Hoffman, John C. Riley, Melora um, Waters, Tom Cruise, uh, Julianne Moore does overact in this movie. She's not great. But uh, Jason Robards, all of these actors in this movie who are... Sucked other guys. <laughs> who are arguably some of our greatest actors ever are, per- are performing in this movie... And hitting the hitting the notes correctly, right? And it's super melodramatic, and it's really over the top, and it's it still works. So this also proves 
what it takes to be a director who can direct actors to to you know deliver the deliver the performances correctly so it's just another example of like what how capable pta is and you know he is i think he's you know my favorite director i think there will be blood maybe my favorite movie but this is the movie that i think just you know defined what filmmaking was to me and at you know a very influential point in my life when i was trying to decide what i wanted to do with it and i i chose that direction and then now you know here i am and now we're doing the podcast hosting the podcast (laughs) uh chapin you've been quiet on this the one thing i would add is i think we could teach these aliens about how filmmaking can be autobiographical and and the way that that can kind of you know help both an individual kind of um you know, have a cathartic experience, but also a mass cathartic experience, you know, like how one person's emotions and feelings about their life can kind of come out in this weird three and a half hour movie and another person can see it across the world and have a sort of a similarly cathartic experience. And that can, that's kind of the extraordinary thing about film. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'm lost. Who's up? So you had Pulp Fiction too, right, Chapin? Yeah. So that uh, brings, it, brings it back to me. Yeah. Yeah, it does. All right, sweet. Uh, so my next pick, as uh, listeners know, I am sort of the screenplay sc- structure guy on this. Um, and when I can find a movie that sort of meshes the world of structure in a great written screenplay and proves exactly what you can do um with with the power of that and cinema together without going off the deep end but also showing the audience just how uh, how wild you can dream something up and pull it off um that's why my number three is 2004's eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um Mm. Gondry is not going to show up on any of our other, you know, anyone else's list. He, you know, but, um, and I doubt Kaufman will either. I mean, adaptation could potentially. But the reason I picked this of, of the sort of two Kaufman movies that I just absolutely adore is for the visual aspects of this film and what, uh, Gondry's able to do here and, and sort of, portray to the audience just as far as the simple matter of like erasing your memory and losing losing something that was once special to you like i think that the way he does that's just magnificent and i've never seen it done again like this um so yeah, that's I, I don't know really much else to say about this film. Do you guys have any thoughts on? Well, I think this is a good one to have on there to talk about screenplay. I mean, let's be honest. Like Gondry, but it, visually, it's stunning he does a too. great job with this movie. It's not and just look, great; I, it's like unbelievable. I, I really like the science of sleep. I mean, Gondry hasn't done a lot. He's done a lot of you know work, but nothing in terms of features. He hasn't done a lot. The science of sleep, I liked. Be kind, rewind. I also liked, but that's a you know kind of a you know, silly film, but I think but we, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless not, Mind deserves to be on this list because of Charlie Kaufman's screenplay. But that also, it, it's it's 
I agree with what you're saying. Human, Gondry right, but we're not talking about any of way. the the story elements that much. And this one it deserves to be on the list just because of that, because it's able to capture the sort of heartbreak of breaking up with somebody and the interconnections of uh, sort of romantic relationships without being uh, sort of a sappy movie. And these aliens don't know what that is. Well, so, this is this is wait, wait, this wait, works wait, wait. in a similar way that Cinema Paradiso was, right? It gets at the human condition, right? It gets at the things that humans struggle with in terms of relationships and what relationships mean and you know how we can get in our own way and how we can not realize the things that are important to us because of X, Y, or Z. And I think while they're not entirely parallel, Cinema Paradiso looks at it from one perspective and you know runs that parallel with movies whereas eternal sunshine basically takes you on this journey and puts you through the it makes you question if i had x taken away if i had this person if i had something good in my life taken away what would that mean for the rest of my life and it does it in such a unique way that only charlie kaufman can script and i think that is a very unique and interesting thing to to show these aliens um so Okay, let's say I'm one of these aliens and I figure out how mm-hmm. to speak our language and I say, well, why don't you just say that? Why do you go about the rigmarole of this weird, like, you show me these movies that are fairly conventional, but now, like, like there's this rigmarole of, like, oh, this weird technology and deleting memories, like, explain that to me. Well, I think actually something very interesting about that would be we have, th- with this movie, we have crossed the, the millennium line. Right. We are moving into the 2000s. We are moving into the Internet age. And this is where the world is changing. And look, aliens, we were talking about pre 90s before this and the world and movies were one thing. And now we are moving into a place where technology and innovation is king. And it's going to find a way to change our lives in just about every single way possible and and change our relationships. But the technology part of this is not even to me, the interesting part. It's just a device. Really? This, this movie itself, this movie itself is about showing the relationship. And that's how we do it. I disagree. It's a MacGuffin because how many times have you, and I know I'm pointing my finger at you, Jeremy, when you're like, could you, I would like this person erased from my mind. You know? Yeah, I still I I think it's a MacGuffin. I really do. I really? think this is more. Yeah, I think this is more. About, I think that's kind of the genius of this thing. Is that look? Well, I, I think, think it's, it's part of the genius of it for sure, and it's what gets to the root of it, which is the relationship itself. Um, like that part where you put something on your head and you like that whole aspect of it doesn't really matter. That like what that the, part to me is the MacGuffin. That's yeah. but the the idea behind the invention I think is a little bit bigger. I mean I, we're splitting hairs a little bit. Yeah, right? we're splitting it, hairs. The for movie sure. is about what you're talking about, Jeremy. That like exp- like loss and what relationships are and how you get them back and so on and so forth and what's important to you. Right, and it's and it's not just necessarily the romantic relationships of it. It's also the it's relationship any relationships between people you know and and how a lot of times you know humans just 
look at the bad and forget the good like or until you start looking back at things you know in the moment you see the bad maybe and you forget the good and then you look back on things you realize the good and you sort of forget the bad and you're chasing on to those good moments and i think that's what it shows thank that's beautiful chapin thank you right in the middle of jeremy's yep. speech about sorry. love and loss sorry love and loss just, eternal sunshine and spotless mind yeah i mean as we could obviously say with all these movies but this one you know if you have not seen this you should put it on the very top of your list um all right, right do we get back to chapin now that i didn't steal one of his no i think i'm up again yeah <laughs> all right so i'm going to 2005 okay and it is judd apatow's the 40 year old virgin and look, you can this this movie you can sh- you know share this can share the mantle with a couple other things, right? You can talk about Anchorman, which came the year er- earlier. Knocked Up came a couple years after, but this is Judd Apatow's debut feature film. Um, the star power in this movie is is unrivaled in terms of of comedic actors that are working today, and it just changed the landscape of comedies and it set the stage for the next fifteen years for both the genre and some of our favorite movie stars. I, I went through the cast list, and I just want to read off people that are in this movie. Um, Steve Carell, obviously, very early in his career. He had appeared in Anchorman. He was in this. The Office began in 2005 as well, so this was before he was famous. Seth Rogen, this was an er, you know an, an early movie for him. He was in Freaks and Geeks, and he was in Undeclared, but not in a lot of movies. Jonah Hill, small cameo in this. Mindy Kaling. Jane Lynch, who'd had a career in acting, obviously, before this, but was not at all famous. She's in The Fugitive, for uh, anybody who's looking for a little Easter egg. Um, David Koechner. Kevin Hart is in this movie. Elizabeth Banks is in this movie. Leslie Mann. Then, very small cameos from Jenna Fisher and Phyllis Smith, who plays Phyllis in The Office. I did not know this until I got my research. Jenna uh, Jenna Fisher is just basically an extra in the club. Um, you can just see the picture if you Google it. Phyllis Smith supposedly plays Andy's mother, Steve Carell's mother. I don't know where in the film she appears, whether it's uh, her specifically or maybe on the phone. But huge list of actors that we just know now, right? You, and you got Jonah Hill, with, right? Yeah, I said Jonah Hill. A lot of tie-ins with The Office, of course. Um, and then, look, you take Knocked Up as well, which you can add Jason Siegel to that list, um, Martin Starr. Uh, and then you go to Anchorman, obviously, with the Adam McKay and Will Ferrell pairing that has a lot of stars in it as well. But I just think if you're going to look at what when comedy changed, right, from the happy Gilmores and the dumb and dumbers to kind of what we have now, although we've sort of hinted at the fact that maybe it's changing again. It's gearing more towards the the sick uh, <laughs> uh, dog, dog tooth humor that Jeremy loves. Um, from Yorgos Lanthimos, but uh, either way, like, a 40-year-old virgin changed everything. The name itself kind of tells you what it was trying to do. It was the R-rated comedy uh, that, you know, made a resurgence. Those existed in, you know, the 70s and 80s with movies like Animal House and Stripes, but they were they were gone, right? It was PG-13 comedies that were huge hits through the 90s. Um, American Pie was R-rated, but it was still like a teen movie. And then you've got 40-Year-Old Virgin and, and Judd Apatow, who obviously had been working for a long time, but just kind of launched to stardom and then built the careers of all of these huge, huge stars that have gone on to do amazing things in comedy and in drama. And there's Oscar nominees here, and there's just 
so many people, Judd Apatow included, that have been massive influences mm-hmm. yeah, on movies since two thousand five. Yeah, it also started uh, Apatow's like string of like naming the movie basically a uh, an explainer. Yeah, very very blunt titles. Knocked up. up. Funny people. This is 40. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's a a tough one because especially when you talk about comedy, like we, we, and again, this goes to that tent, that that foundation post idea, but like, you know, there's a lot of, of stuff intertwined in between, especially in television i mean for us and for a lot of comedians like not just for us but for like a lot of comedians working today like the original office well, was sure, a huge that, part of that and like obviously it's that a can't huge factor it came a little part before of this list um you have a lot you have all these these office connections american office connections in 40 no, year old version like it's the british office no that's what i mean like yeah. so you you obviously owe ricky gervais in the british office for this too so that's why i mean it shares the shares the mantle a little bit with some other things but yeah um i just think that this was sort of the i, I mean i remember seeing this movie in the theater and just like you know keeling over laughing the entire time no I, I don't know that i've ever laughed as hard at a movie as I did with this because it just kind of here's, here's a question for you. Everything if you were, what you were expecting. If you were sitting next to yourself in that theater, would you be uh, annoyed at yourself for being so loud and laughing so hard? You know, I don't know, but I, I saw this movie with a girl, so it's... Yeah. Uh, How'd that go? There's only so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you didn't go with her to the theater, but she was sitting next to you. She was sitting next to me, out. yeah. Um, yeah... I don't, I mean, yeah, I just, this fucking guy, this, it's not I, that be, funny. Experience would be ruined. Kevin Hart's not that funny. The, the thing is, I don't really love Kevin Hart, but that scene that he's in, so in this funny. movie is so funny. Okay, my turn. <clears throat> yep, finally, I remember Jaffin, going up. back to 1993 with Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. The reason this is on here is I think this has set the template for the modern blockbuster. I think Marvel movies don't happen without this. I don't think comic book movies in general happen about this. And here's what I think. I've said this before, but here's what I think he discovered, which is that a movie, a blockbuster needs to appeal to both. The modern blockbuster needs to appeal to both kids and adults at the Mm -hmm. same time equally. You know, you've got E.T., which he also directed, which is a kid's movie. You've got... If you look back, the movies that were like top at the box office before Jurassic Park are all either kid movies or adult movies. They're either rated R or they're G-rated Disney movies, maybe PG. And well, the rating system back then—I mean, Jaws is rated PG. Right, right. <clears throat> but but you know, just like thematically adult movies, and Jurassic Park just yeah. like set a different tone. And, and 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 it also, you know, to your point, Jeremy, about technology, it, it kind of ushered, it, it was kind of like the proving ground for CG. You know, yeah. they, they didn't have look a ton of CG. Look what we can do. Look what we can do. We can like augment our, our current system with this, with this, with this new technology. And this is what we can do with it. And it's incredible. And, and, and they didn't even know they really could do that going into it. Exactly. It was sort of a, exactly. a hope and a prayer. And I don't think any of them expected it to look as good as it ended up looking and standing and the test still of time. look better than a lot of movies. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's, a, it's certainly an honorable mention for me for those very reasons, and I'm glad we're talking about a Spielberg film, and, too. And, I mean, like, I really wanted to put, like, Saving Private Ryan on here because I think it had a real influence visually on films, like, it from mm. in the 2000s, but, you know, like, Jurassic Park's legacy exists, you know, I don't know how long ago, you know, almost 30 years ago, um, and... It still affects it now. I mean, like they're they they're still making Jurassic Park movies, and they're bad, and they're still successful. Oh, and I can't wait to see the next one. And we can't wait to see the next one and be really Dominion. disappointed. Yeah, this is so. We uh, we did a podcast on Jurassic Park for its twenty uh, fifth anniversary a couple of years ago, and I've listened back to that pod, and I and I was never able to kind of articulate why that movie was important to me, and I think I've been able to kind of put it into better words now, and it's. As much as, you know, those characters, you know, are in awe, right, that they're seeing dinosaurs, you know, some that and they're in awe of what John Hammond created. And this is something miraculous. That's how I feel about Jurassic Park. Right. I sit back and I am in awe that this is what somebody can create with a movie. And I think the triumphant score of Jurassic Park makes that kind of just that feeling of that so much more impactful, mm. you know, you, and you're hearing that and you're seeing these dinosaurs, but you're, you're at, as a film lover, you're actually looking at it and saying you're, you're seeing what movies can be. And in 1993 movies couldn't be that. Yeah. Right. That's a great. And, point. and I think that is why Jurassic park has always been so amazing to me that even now you can look at it and say, wow, like th- this was accomplished. Just like the characters are saying, wow, this man, you know, brought dinosaurs back to life. This was accomplished. As audience members were saying, this movie recreated this and put this on screen and made it look real and put a compelling story around it. And it stood the test of time because of that, because you can look back and admire what Spielberg did. And, and you know, every time something new is created, it's, I think, a little less exciting because we saw it coming. Right. Like there's just because in part because of Jurassic Park. Right. We saw this is what we're capable of. And we kind of put two and two together and said, well, that'll get better over the years. But there really hadn't been anything done like this. So you kind of just sit back with that music playing that amazing John Williams score and just say, God, this is this was created out of thin air. And I yeah. think I think that's uh, incredible. And I think I uh, I mean, tell me if you feel I'm wrong, but like I, it, I feel like Spielberg did it again too, later in his career with Minority Report. Just that feeling of, wow, this, this. Mm, it doesn't have the same. It's not impact. the same as in the the CGI, but just the the sort of wow factor of what, like predicting the future, feeling the future, being being able to put the audience into. A very realistic future setting. See, I thought you were going to say Saving Private Ryan because in the way, like, well, that's more of the the filmmaking itself, right? Less, but in that way, it brought technology. us back to this point in history in such a visceral way. With Minority Report, I guess maybe I'm still not articulating it the way I want to. Like, there's there's nothing awe inspiring about Minority. Minority Report. It's yeah. a super cool movie. It's really so it's, I mean, it's done. a better movie than Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. All, for sure. all things considered, yes. But I think Jurassic Park is awe-inspiring for the reasons I discussed before. 
right? You, it's, you kind of can't believe what was done. In 2003, there's nothing surprising about what Spielberg was able to accomplish visually with that movie. I mean, the, the in, inventiveness of it is, is amazing, but I guess it's not awe-inspiring the way Jurassic Park is. Mm. And that's why, you know, that's one I'd want to show the aliens. Okay. Jeremy. Last one. Uh, is this your last one? No, you got... No, this is right? my number four. Um, yep. And I'm already... Uh, guys, I'm already into the 2010s here. Uh, I wanted to get a movie from this filmmaker on the list, and I think it's the most poignant one as far as culturally and ushering us into the digital era both as humans and on film, and it's uh, David Fincher's Social Network, okay, good. which came out in 2010. It didn't um, didn't end up making my list, so I'm very glad you had it on there, just from the this is what the world is point of yeah, view. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's two, sort of. I mean, I could have put, uh, just as far as, like, digital filmmaking, I, I, I obviously, again, these are sort of tentpole uh, movies. There's digital filmmaking before this, um, but he sort of ushered it into a new realm, especially with Zodiac, I think would be the one to call it on, but uh, also here with Social Network, and it also, also is the film that sort of starts the trickle of holy shit this is what our lives are going to become they're all going to become on this computer they're going to become something on social media the movie itself isn't necessarily about that it's about you know zuckerberg's rise to uh prominence and and how he created facebook but Underlying that last shot of that movie when he just keeps refreshing on his Facebook, hoping his old ex-girlfriend will follow him, it it, it starts to get at think of what, how many uh, times versions of that exist in our life. Refreshing yep. for an email, swiping down to refresh Instagram, whatever it is, like it's it's exists and then, at every. And then of course of there's you know it's Fincher, it's Fincher's quick sort of sh- his quick sharp filmmaking. Um, you know, Sorkin's Yeah, the edge, yeah. Sorkin's uh dialogue that we just sort of love I mean, it's just so repeatable and we just love to hear uh actors say his mm-hmm. dialogue, especially the way they do in that movie. It's I mean it's it and then it's influence. I I I almost can't pinpoint like how like this movie was because of social network, but you know the social network is hugely influential on future movies like a lot of filmmakers look at that movie and go yeah like that's that's the way you sort of tell that type of story now i think it's still underappreciated somehow i agree although not to mention the score too yeah in the first we heard of um atticus ross and um what's the other's name was it Trent Reznor? Trent Reznor, yeah. Um, I I sort of agree with you, Chapin, except that it was just it's everybody's top movie of the decade. Hmm. But it is interesting. Of course, it kind of famously didn't win Best Picture. It lost to The King's Speech. There's a couple interesting movies like that on this list. Do the Right Thing also did not win Best Picture. In fact, I don't think it was even nominated for Best Picture. Mm. Um, the year good. Driving Miss Daisy won. Oh, oh God. <laughs> um, that would be like Moonlight leave, losing to uh, Green La La Land. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, at the same time, shape, and there's a part of me that agrees with you that like I just don't think that the the full scope of how important the social network is truly appreciated. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Fincher is as emulated as other filmmakers of his stature. You know, like. Um, because he's kind of hard to emulate. Like it's a difficult. Like what like, are you emulating? How do you, how do you how do you make a movie like that? You do a hundred takes. Oh, oh, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. I'll I'll copy somebody else. I I don't know that Social Network is influential to filmmakers. I think it is. I, th- I think underlying. I think like it's, it's hard to pinpoint it, but I think it is. I think uh-huh. it's an important. I think it is one of the most important movies obviously of this century um but arguably ever because it it is about the most defining thing arguably in the history of the world <laughs> in, in social media and the rise of the internet hmm. yeah they need to make a sequel they did. i don't think oh, they man. knew that in 2010 no I no they, they did. how could they Lee? all right my final pick um, my least favorite movie on this list comes from 2008, um, has its strength, but has its many weaknesses as we've all talked about. You know, I've long discussed the problems with this movie and I think you guys are finally on the same page with me. It is Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Mm. Yeah, um, I thought about it. There's just no denying the influence that this movie has on movies, on popular culture, on everything. Um, you know... Marvel would not exist in the way that it does without this movie. Um, Christopher Nolan's career, Christian Bale's career, like just so, so many things exist because of the dark Knight. And you could argue that maybe it goes back a little bit to the Batman begins, but the way that he kind of turned his, you know, his magnum opus into a more thought provoking, interesting movie, despite its flaws you know, proved that big budget blockbuster movies can be, you know, more than just seat fillers. And and I think the comic book genre changed. I think blockbusters changed. I think, you know, everything changed when this movie came out. And again, I think this is a, a massively overrated movie. Um, it's still good. still has one of the best performances, maybe, if not, you know, maybe a top five performance of all time with Heath Ledger. Um, but I just you I I don't think we can talk about influential and important movies in the history of cinemas and in our lifetime without talking about this. Yeah, I mean it just doesn't qualify on my list. Um, for the the part I was talking about, like being passionate about it, I just I, mm. you know, after our Nolan, you were the last one to come around. Yeah, yeah. After the Nolan retrospective, I'm just like I'm not. I I can't make it through that movie. The well, last it was, it was third the of it. bachelor party where you were really well he was yeah that's really what that's what turned me and i was uh was not sober when i was watching yeah. it it was, but i i saw it as sober as day it was so clear to me why that movie didn't work and i i remember getting angry at it um i get what you're saying lee it's just not the nolan film i'd pick uh for this list and i it's have not, my I, reasons i i we went in chronological order, so this ended yep. up being my last pick. But I was like, I was so much more excited about the other four on my list. Like those would definitely be movies I'd so much rather talk about. But I just think, 
if if aliens are going to come down and ask what this whole MCU is all about, and you have to find a beginning, you have to go back to the Dark Knight. Well, Iron Man and came out the same year as this. That was the next year. That was two thousand nine. Nope. I think so. We're gonna confirm. Iron Man that. came out okay. before, but came out before Dark Knight. Well, look, I'm not denying that the MCU was in was in the works, right? But I just think, but I just think that the 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 way that people took the comic sh- book genre seriously is owed to the dark knight more yeah, than and, to and Iron how Man. how sort of serious you can take it and how dark yeah. it can get is is definitely because of of nolan and, and this and look like the the burton batmans are kind of dark and but they're campy right and that camp was sort of a staple of of the superhero TV show and movie until until Batman Begins and then you know he took what he kind of created there and and made it a blockbuster with The Dark Knight and look like I I don't want to sit here and defend The Dark Knight because I I probably like it the least although it was lowest on your list Jeremy with the Nolan retrospective but yep um I just think look it's a, we're talking about important movies of our lifetime and yeah. and this is this is one um. Uh, if you don't mind, Chapin, I'm going to jump ahead of you because mine uh, relates to Lee's because I also have a Nolan movie the dark that Knight I want. Rises. <laughs> the Dark Knight <laughs> Rises. No, I wanted to display Nolan because I think he, like, his whole career, for the most part, other than the Batman movies, has been getting at this one part of, and we talk about it in our retrospective, but this one thing, of one aspect that only cinema, like literally only cinema can show and manipulate, and that's time. And mm. no no director, filmmaker is better at I'm glad manipulating, you're putting Tenet on your list. Thank you. Manipulating time than, than uh, Nolan. So <laughs> I, have to, I have to put Dunkirk what? as the reason. Not Inception? Nope. Uh, I guess... If I had to show this, the aliens, the best version of how he does that, <laughs> it would be Dunkirk. I think they'd be so confused. They need to see it three times. I don't know. Dunkirk. I mean, yes. No, yeah, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I needed to. Uh, Tarantino well, needed to. These are these are high level uh, species. Yeah, the smart aliens. Yeah, intellectual. Uh, yeah, I mean, he does it throughout his career. We know this, so, you know, Inception, Memento, Tenet, like that. Dunkirk's my favorite Nolan movie, so I'm... It's not even my favorite Nolan movie. I just think it represents how he manipulates time the best. Well, not necessarily the best, but it's the best version of that. Well, Um, it's it's an example of how how a film can be non-linear. It can be sort of, you know... non-traditional in the way it develops characters and dialogue and things like that and still be compelling yeah um well i have a take well listen hear me out (laughs) i i don't know i don't know that nolan's use of time manipulation in dunkirk is as successful without inception uh, I don't my, think th- my I think point it holds being, its own. I think my point, it stands alone. It does, but my point being, we we saw what he did with Inception, and and I even you know throw the Prestige in there too. Like there's a little bit of that in the Prestige too. So 
we knew his obsession with time and manipulating time and memento of course the other one that's the one i'm forgetting of course um so when we get to dunkirk you know a world war ii movie we were we were saying how can he make this unique how can he do something different and he did something entirely different as a war movie but also in manipulating time so having that that's set up for it i think sure. is what you made do, that so you do wonder what else he could do and then in and terms then he does of that it. and then he does it and then you wonder what else he could do and then he couldn't do it with time. <laughs> <laughs> it stays, it's boring if he doesn't say anything okay Jamie, this is uh radio. you have to say oh we're done words. we're done talking about dunkirk no no i i greatest, said my piece. greatest Greatest movie from Christopher Nolan, but well, I mean, and, and I think you know, you don't get 1917 without Dunkirk, and um, you know, all those other things. So it's also it's hard to see the influence of a movie that came out four years ago. Um, but okay, uh, no, I like that. But uh, yeah, it sure, might sound yeah, like it. Just but. shit on my pick. Go ahead. What, no, what I think it's got? a great pick. Uh, mine, my, my number one is from 1995. Can you guess what movie? Braveheart, obviously. Nope. nope. Apollo 13, babes. Nope. Ooh. Uh, 1995, Mission Impossible? Nope. That's 1996. That's it's Toy Story. Yeah, that's a good pick. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, very good. I mean, basically, it created a genre, which is this sort of non-musical computer animated movie, which yeah, every which studio I'm the only does. one that still watches the movies of, and you guys but don't But I think with, more but. than that, it showed, much like Jurassic Park did, that a film can be both appealing to adults and kids at the same time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they're more geared toward kids. Um, but, yeah. you know, I think, you know, really emotional storytelling, uh, kind of positive energy. Uh, I, I think this, like, set the tone in a way that we don't really appreciate. Um, I mean, not only like, you know, we're, we're like living in the Toy Story area in terms of animation and, and kids movies, but also it's larger effect on cinema, which is that, um, you know, we we said this was soul that like like the, some the, some of some in some ways soul was like the, the greatest thematic filmmaking of last year. And I know you agree, Jeremy. Um, yeah, best screenplay. Um, is correct me if I'm wrong, but this is also where, um, stars, movie stars, voicing animation, kind of began. Um, if you mm-hmm. look at all like Disney animated movies, it's just you know people you yeah voice talent know. yeah yeah yeah. Um, and so you have these like musical oriented sort of hand animated Disney films, and then this one comes along and basically just launches a genre, which is non non musical computer animated films which is sort of where we are now i mean i know there's like your frozens and things like yeah, that but, but. right yeah but that's when, a great what's the last actual hand drawn or even like well there's still manipulated a lot of wolf walker's cartoon. amazing film oh right wolf walkers yeah but that wasn't exactly uh, appealing to the masses no didn't you turn off wolf walkers and turn on wolf of wall street because you were just like we're in the mood for wolves? no i turned off a different movie for that i turned off uh I don't even remember the name of it, but Wolf Walkers was an amazing movie. It was on my top ten of the year. It's pretty good. But I think like um, it, like Toy Story just shows could show our alien friends just like I mean a lot capable of, uh, of motherfuckers. Yeah, a lot of our movies are pretty <laughs> negative, and 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 Toy Story can be sort of unabashedly excuse me heartwarming and positive and 
you know, like life affirming in a way. Yeah, I think that's a great pick, actually. Yeah, it's an I honorable even think, mention for me. I didn't even think about that. Um, but obviously, like, what's changed? I, you know, I, I spent so much time thinking about Forty Year Old Virgin and how that changed comedy, but I wasn't thinking about the that kind of so I, um, as far benchmark as on, and changing animation. As far as anime, as far as honorable mentions are concerned, you know, I, I was going to put Parasite in the place of Do the Right Thing. But it's a little too hard to tell. I'm, I'm, I'm like sort of hoping Parasite is very influential. Um, but I think well, that how, and that, how so and and just just getting the, people just to the ability explore foreign films. Well, that that's the big thing. It's like like the ability to like say, okay, this is a Korean film, but it's so approachable. It's so of its time. It so speaks to the themes that we find that we as Americans find mm-hmm. interesting and important. And it's also this like romp, and it's so yeah. many things. Um, yeah, it's also like the first sort of movie of globalization, like because we all can relate on a much closer level to certain things than maybe we used to even twenty years ago, and I feel like it gets to that a little bit, especially when it comes to uh, you know uh, the the class system. Um, and all our interconnectedness, but we'll see. So we don't ha- we don't quite have fifteen movies, obviously, because we have some overlaps. Um, Jeremy, what were your five? Well, let me give a couple honorable mentions and uh, why I didn't okay. um, pick them. Uh, Boyhood was an honorable mention <laughs> for oh, me, fuck. just because of the filmmaking itself. Uh, Fargo, I wanted to add that, yeah. but I felt like it was too close to Pulp Fiction. It was a Man, lot. And the, the Coens same. didn't make this list. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, again no country for old men yep i wanted to i was close but i felt like that was the same year as there will be blood i thought for sure there will be blood would be on both your lists i was shocked it wasn't uh we talked about it a little bit earlier unforgiven was i, I it was it, it was influential on me it was influential on the western genre but like i started looking post unforgiven it didn't really well the ranch the, the way, other than the ranch, the rest the that Western. was more LA confidential, though. I think. Well, Jeremy um, wanted a shotgun battle, and so that's what we did, mm. yeah. Uh, and it worked. So, um, and then uh, Children of Men was another one mm. I sort of dabbled with. Um, you know what? One I, I was thinking about is gravity, I think, like reinvigorating the sci fi space oh, yeah. genre. Well, that you should give to Sunshine, but. Yeah, but even though it some, didn't actually do not, it, not one person saw sunshine in the theater <laughs> except me. Yeah. Oh, you're um, the one. <laughs> Did you sit next to a girl? Oh no, you were the only one in the theater. No, I think I ate a burrito, and well, I saw it. Did you? It's did amazing the how many movies Chapin has seen with a burrito. <laughs> Often talks about the burrito. It's definitely more her. than with a woman, for sure. <laughs> Making out with a burrito, more, <laughs> more memorable. Kind of he remembers that. every burrito he's ever had while Absolutely. watching. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, all right, go ahead, Lee. You want to sum them well, up? I just uh, so Jeremy, give us your five. Uh, it was Goodfellas, uh, Pulp Fiction, Eternal Sunshine, Social Network, and Dunkirk. All right, and I'll add to that. Do the right thing. Cinema Paradiso. Forty year old virgin. Magnolia and the Dark Knight. And I'm adding Jurassic Park and Toy Story. And Toy Story. So we got 12 films that we're going to show these aliens when they come down to 
try to explain how important movies are. Do, so how, how does that do work? We feel like, they they're do, like uh, they come to us. Obviously, they they need they need cinema advice. They come to us. They're like aliens, alien movies, and then we do this, and they're like, no, we want movies with aliens. Oh, yeah. so we misunderstood. Then we yeah. fucked it up, and then and then they blow up the world. Well, no, okay. because then because then we go wine tasting with Lee, and, and it's fine. I thought I thought they were the survive the arrival aliens. They don't. Oh, we pissed them here. off. <laughs> and then and um, Lee then Lee recommends a, a beautiful Bordeaux, and we we you know we all get watch drunk. sideways. Yeah, we watch sideways, and then we watch Independence Day, and then we watch um um district nine and you know we, we we sort of do the we sort of do it for them after okay but in in all seriousness do we think that our 12 movies would represent the importance of movies in our lifetime i, think I don't so. know i don't know i mean i mean i'm kind of curious as now that they're all collectively together i'm like should we have just said like all of our favorite movies no no i no. think i think what we did was correct. Because I, because like, is it a mistake that the Coens aren't on the list? It's. I think it's. That's a tough one. I think it's. It's tough that um, you know, Magnolia is on this list. Um, but like, I, I just don't think that. I I think you know there will be blood might be in my top five films might be in my top two but like I it's just it's just not influential enough and not en- not agree. enough people have seen it. Well, that's um, why I put Magnolia. Jeremy, I imagine you would have put Boogie Nights, but that's the same reason. That's that's almost an example of the influence of Goodfellas more yeah, than yeah, it is its exactly. own. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. It's it's on the other end of the influence more and than And Magnolia it's... is the same thing, but Magnolia is on there in terms of a movie that is influential to me and just, like, what movies can be. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's a, what would be, like... The thing is, there's not one glaring missing movie, uh, uh, other than unless you want to say there will be blood, which I don't think we, really qualifies. There's we don't no think maybe the, be like maybe no country. We don't have any um, female directors on here. Yeah, but we wanted to re- represent well, they films during our they lifetime. Pro- they weren't prolific <laughs> in our lifetime, so I mean, um, well, it's, it's still it's still our lifetime. And I guess uh, Tree of Life maybe could have been one. Tree of that. Tree of Life, I think maybe. Um, I don't know. Like, where? What about like the Big Lebowski? Um, I think it's too niche. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of. The I honestly think no, no like, Country is probably more influ- is probably their most influential movie. Yeah, that's the answer for them. I agree, but I don't know that that belongs ahead of anything we put. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fixed podcast. Thank you to our friends in Europe for <clears throat> sending this beautiful question. We love a person of color, a woman. Somebody who is not like us to send in a question. It can be scathing. We're, we're, we've got thick skins. Send us your questions, and we'd love to do another episode on this. This is a lot of fun. We'll play it for you. Um, we'd love to hear back from you. And um, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next feedback. week. Feedback. Feedback. At get, feedback at GYFFpodcast.com or, get, or feedback at GetYourFilmFixedPodcast.com. Um, send us your voice memos. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. God, this is a long episode. That's what happens when we get long-winded Jeremy back. I'm staying.
finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee. 